This morning, our new series is Follow the Other Road, and we are going to be learning life lessons from Oz's perspective, okay? From Oz, right? It's exciting. It's going to be really good. Uh, if you did not know this, um, it turns out that in January, so we're going through, right, this is the only one that ends up in December. The rest of the series will all be through January. And it turns out that in January, they're going to be showing The Wizard of Oz in theaters again. It's going to be re-released to theaters because they heard that I was doing such an amazing job with... I didn't even get that sentence all the way out before he started laughing. Like, can you guys? It's rude. It's rude, P. I go to church with rude people. I don't do this anymore. Yeah. God, hurt my feelings. All right, so it is the 80th anniversary. I, I honestly did not know that when I started this series, so that's a God thing, okay? But it's the 80th anniversary of The Wizard of Oz, if you didn't know that. So the 80th anniversary, she is officially a really old lady, okay? Um, she old chick, okay? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> the movie. Uh, so, uh, so 80th anniversary, we'll be back in theater. So as we're going through this series, it just turns out that it's like the perfect moment for it. So God always orchestrates really crazy cool things like that. Did you know that? I mean, it's amazing how God does that. So we're going to talk uh, this morning about the opener to my series is there is no place like home. There is no place like home. So we're going to look at Oz through a little bit of the lens of Dorothy, okay? Uh, and we are going to examine what we can learn about the kingdom of God through Dorothy's eyes. All right, and I want to start in Acts 22, if you're, if you're taking notes or reading along with me. Acts 22 in your Bible, uh, verses 22 through 29. Acts 22, 22 through 29. And I'm reading this out of the New Passion Translation. It just reads really comfortably for this. We're, we're not breaking down some Hebrew or Greek in this, so we can just read it easy. Um, this is Paul. Paul uh, has been given a lot of prophecies that said, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. Bad stuff is going to happen, right? Over and over, prophetic people have come to him and said, I've had a vision. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. They're going to try to kill you. It's going to be really bad. Paul, don't go. Right? So what does Paul do? He goes. Right? Because he's like, I don't care. Right? I think Paul likes prison. Like, I really, I actually think he likes it a lot. Like, uh, and, and I'm not even making a joke there. I actually think he likes it. And I'll, and I'll talk about that in a second. Okay? I actually think he sees something that other people don't see. So sometimes when we have a prophetic word, we see trouble. We see uh, trouble ahead. If you're learning how to use the gift of prophecy, sometimes you will see something and you will try to interpret it for somebody else. You will try to tell them what it means or what they should do instead of just delivering what you saw. So these prophets saw, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be arrested. They will try to kill you. This bad stuff's going to happen. Doesn't mean don't go. It just means like, hey, this is what you, you're going to go through if you go. So then you've got to decide whether to go, okay? And so it says this in verse 22. The crowd listened attentively to Paul up to this point. So he was doing good, okay? And then it got to a point, and they're like, nope, no more. When they heard this, all at once they erupted with loud shouts saying, get rid of this man. Kill him. He doesn't deserve to live. While the crowd was screaming and yelling, removed their outer garments and throwing handfuls of dust in the air in protest. The commander had Paul brought back into the compound. He ordered that he be whipped with a lash and interrogated to find out what he had said that so infuriated the crowd. So I want you to understand this. The Roman commander hears this crowd all stirred up in a frenzy, right? They're literally kicking up dust, right? And it's not even baseball, all right? And they're kicking up dust everywhere. And they, he hears the frenzy, comes over there. He's like, this guy must have done something. Takes him, 
beats him, like puts him in some chains, right? He's like, we got to find out what this guy did. And so they immediately start to interrogate him to find out why the crowd was so furious. When the soldier stretched out Paul with a rope, he said to the captain who was standing nearby, is it legal for you to torture a Roman citizen like this without a proper trial? When the officer heard this, he immediately went to his commander and reported it, saying, this man is a Roman citizen. What should we do now? The commander came to Paul and asked him, tell me the truth. Are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he replied. The commander said, I had to purchase my citizenship with a great sum of money. Paul replied, I was born as a citizen. All the soldiers who were about to whip Paul backed away because they were afraid. Say afraid of the consequences for tying up and holding a Roman citizen against his will. So I want you to understand the context of what this is. He was told if you go, this is going to happen. And he went anyways, all right? So he gets there, they grab him, and he claims Roman citizenship, okay? So if some of you don't know, Paul was born a Roman citizen, okay? He's a Jew and a Roman citizen. He holds dual citizenships, okay? And Israel at the time was under Roman occupation. It was a Roman state, okay? And so uh, he was a citizen of dual citizenships. What I want to say to you this morning is that you guys are citizens. You hold dual citizenships. You hold citizenships to earth and you hold a citizenship to heaven when you are a believer. See, when you come to faith, when you receive Jesus in your heart, when you confess your sins, when you repent, when you are baptized, you become a citizen of heaven. That is your legal citizenship. You are paying for your citizenship in heaven. And when you do that, you now have authority under heaven's laws to operate according to the will of God and the laws and rules of God and not by earth. See, Paul understood these Jews want to kill me, but I'm a citizen of Rome. And he gets arrested by Rome. And then he lets them. You notice like he doesn't say it right off the bat. They're starting to drag him away. He's like, whoa, guys, like I'm a citizen. They interrogate him, they beat on him, and then they stretch him out with ropes, and he's like, right, like he's getting that, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good stretch, you know, he's got sore muscles. So he's getting stretched out, and, uh, and he's like, uh, hey, are you supposed to do this to a Roman citizen? You notice he lets him do it first? Like he gets to the point where they have to back up, and now they're freaked out, right? Because they're like, oh, we're going to get in so much trouble. So what did Paul do by doing that? He, he probably bought himself some favor with them, right? They didn't want to do anything else to, to get themselves in trouble for interrogating this Roman citizen. Now, what's interesting about that is as long as he wasn't a Roman citizen, it was cool. They could do whatever they wanted to him, right? They could beat on him, throw him in chains, stretch him out with ropes. No accusation had been made against him. The Roman officers were still trying to figure out this guy must have done something to stir up this crowd because they are all hot at him, right? And, and they, was, he had to do something. Let's just beat him for a little while and find out. See, that was the, the course. You, you had no way of, of, of uh, attacking that. You had no way of circumventing that. You were just at the subject of Rome. You were, you were at the mercy of Rome. And so as a Jew, you're at the mercy of Rome. But because he's a Roman citizen, he had rights. And some of you guys have been walking around in your life and you're at the mercy of the enemy. You're at the mercy of his occupation in your life and you don't realize that you are a kingdom citizen. And the moment that you cry out that you are a kingdom citizen, it stops. And you have authority under heaven to break what is happening in your life. You don't have to live defeated just simply because you are attacked. 
That's ridiculous. And we need to realize we're citizens and start owning what's available to us as citizens of heaven. So when we repent, when we come to Jesus, we become uh, citizens and we have the authority of the kingdom of God. Okay? So these Jews, you got to understand the context of what they were going through. They were waiting on a Messiah, all right? And so the Messiah had already come. Jesus had died and been resurrected. What's making him mad is that he said it. Hey, I know that we're supposed to be waiting on the Messiah. By the way, he came, and that infuriated all of them. They couldn't believe this guy could dare say that the prophecies were fulfilled. Like, you know, uh, like that's crazy to think, you know, they believe in the word of God, but they don't believe in its fulfillment. So here it was. See, because the reason they didn't believe that Jesus was is because the, the Jews were not waiting for a kingdom of heaven. They were waiting for a kingdom of earth. They were waiting for a Messiah that would come and restore David's kingdom. King David's kingdom that was promised to reign forever. They're waiting for this Messiah, and their vision is when the Messiah shows up, the heavens, uh, heaven's kingdom is not the issue. It's earth's kingdom, and he's going to restore David's kingdom. Jesus didn't restore David's kingdom, so that must not be the guy. They, they got their kingdoms mixed up. They don't understand what Jesus came to do. And, and see, a lot of times I think we're exactly like that. We read that, and as believers, we're like, oh, they were dumb. Like, they just don't know what they're doing, right? Um, you know, we, it's amazing to me how we can read something and have so little comprehension of it, okay? And what I mean by that is, is I, I'm on all these, like, Facebook groups and blogs and stuff that are, like, Christian leaders, church leaders, like pastors um, kind of corralling there. It's not all pastors, but a lot of leaders in churches that are a part of those groups and stuff. And, and it is amazing to me. I will read, sometimes if I'm bored, uh, I don't really scroll Facebook a ton, but I do scroll comments on church blogs, okay, a lot, all right? And it just, like, this I had to shut it down. I just, I stopped because I was so disheartened. My heart was so heavy because I'm thinking to myself, we read everything about Jesus was attacking the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was always attacking to these religious leaders, right? Jesus was kind to those that were caught in sexual sin. Do you know that there's not a single time in the Bible that Jesus was ever mean to somebody in sexual sin? Do you know that? Like he was always soft to him. What do we do in the church? We're hard on that one, right? And we're easy on everything else. So we actually do like the opposite of what Jesus, I'm not saying that we should not, that they're, you know, let anybody do whatever they want. I'm saying that maybe we need to look at Jesus's life for our level of, of, of our own <gasps> shock and awe, right? When someone does, <gasps> I can't believe it, right? Jesus, he got mad when people were defiling the temple right? He turned over tables. He never turned over tables when he found out somebody was living in some sin. He would love on them and then correct them gently, right? But when he found, when he saw a Pharisee, when he saw a leader of the law, when he saw a priest and he knew that priest's uh, uh, heart was in the wrong place, he went after him with a vengeance. And we'll talk more about that in the coming series. Uh, this morning is my setup, but next week we're going to go on to the Scarecrow and talk about uh, renewing our mind. And the week after that's probably going to be my absolute favorite series. Uh, we're going to talk about the Tin Man, and that's going to be a powerful, powerful uh, message that has the ability to bring you back to life. Some of you are dead in your heart, and you need to come back to life. And that's going to be one that does that. But the Pharisees in particular, they, they got caught up arguing about nonsense. They argued the little stuff. They were mean. Uh, if you didn't say it right or if you didn't bring the right um, uh, message across to, to uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for, to 
uh, intro what your comment was going to be, they bash you. Like, for instance, I'll get on stuff and it's like talking about marketing or this is how you can, like, Facebook promote your church or, you know, you could send out mailers. And it talks about all the technical stuff that goes into church. Like, here's how to do two cameras and, like, all the technical things that have to be done in church. And you'll just read these blogs and it's posting and people are like, you just need to preach the word of God and they'll all show up, Right. And, 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 and I understand that people think that, and, 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 and obviously we need to preach the word of God. Like, no one's going to take that away, right? But in order to make that accusation, you're basically saying that 95% of all churches in America are under 100 people are not preaching the word of God. You are accusing every ni- those 95% that they do not preach from the Bible. And I just don't think that's true. In fact, if you look at it statistically, a lot of the megachurches are the ones that get under fire for kind of soft doctrine, right? They're the ones that kind of get in trouble for preaching really light and easy. It's not the little churches. People are leaving the little churches because those pastors hit them really hard and smash their toes, all right, right? And they don't like that. So um, I don't believe that's the case. And so I just go through these blogs and I'm reading them all and my heart is breaking as these people just rip each other apart. And they're just, they just argue back and forth and they're mean-spirited about it. And they're like, oh, you're just this. And, and they'll start calling names to a point. But they're like Christian names. You know what I mean? Like, the, like, you know, like, you know, like in the South, like bless your heart means you're an idiot, right? You know, like, so like bless your heart, right? So that's my way of saying, oh, you're an idiot. Um, but like they, they say like the Christian names, ah, you just don't have the wisdom and understanding yet. That's okay, you know. And, and like they, they, just, they just hit each other constantly. And it breaks my heart because they got the wrong attitude. They're looking for the wrong thing. They don't understand what they're looking for. And if they truly understood what the base foundation of their faith was, they would realize they're wrong. And that's what's amazing to me is that so many people read the Bible and they read Jesus coming after the Pharisees and they don't even realize they're one. Like, they, I read this, and I'm like, Pharisee, 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 Pharisee. Oh, that guy's nice. Pharisee, Pharisee. Like, you can just see it. These people are so caught up in religion and, and, and breaking these down and arguing with their brothers and sisters instead of loving each other and becoming one, all right? And, it's, and, and it, so it doesn't baffle me that during Jesus' day that he dealt with the same legalistic people because even now that we can read the Bible and see it clearly, we still deal with them. They're still here. And if you're a Pharisee here this morning, I want you to know there's hope for you. I love you. Just stay for the rest of the series. If you walk out right now, we'll know. Okay? I can't believe it. Right? I'm definitely a Pharisee, not a Pharisee. I don't know the difference. Right? It's okay. You don't have to know the difference. I do. I'm not going to tell you. Um, not today. The... <laughs> So the presence, here's what you have to get. The presence and the coming of the kingdom of God, not of man, was a central message to Jesus' message. It was central to what he was teaching. His teaching was designed to show men how they could enter the kingdom of God. Not bring the kingdom of God to earth, but rather how they could go to the kingdom of God. And he, and he went over this so many times in the word of God in Matthew 5:20 and 7:21 uh, his mighty works were all to show the kingdom of God in Matthew 12:28 uh, in 12 uh, in Matthew 13:11 i mean it's just everywhere in the bible the term the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven uh, appear uh, occurs four times in Matthew uh, the kingdom of god 
14 times in Mark, 32 times in Luke, twice in the Gospel of John, six times in Acts, eight times in Paul, and once in Revelation. Okay, Matthew actually preferred, the reason why it only showed up four times for Matthew was he actually preferred kingdom of heaven, which is used 20 times in that Gospel. Uh, all in all, if you add up how many times the kingdom of God or heaven was used in the New Testament, it's 155 times. Okay, yeah, I went through and accounted each one myself. Um, 155 times that he did that. It's even in the Lord's Prayer, right? We, we said part of it this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? I don't know why that's like the only prayer that I still use thy in. Like everything else I've moved on from Old English, but for some reason the Lord's Prayer feels really good with a thy thrown in there, right? And it's just a, thy will be done. You know, it's like a, I don't have a, the deep God voice from the play. Thy will be done. Okay, so the idea was that Jesus was saying, bring your heaven down. Take heaven and bring it down. So just like Paul, he, he called down his citizenship. He was in the same situation. Nothing changed. He was who he was. The situation was identical, and he called down his authority and the laws of the Roman government down to him, right? He took the authority of a Roman citizen. He was the same Paul in the same situation. The difference was that he claimed something that he hadn't claimed before. Okay? And how does that relate to what we're talking about today, the Wizard of Oz? See, I think Dorothy is a lot like Paul in this situation. I think Dorothy, see, what she does is she wakes up in this world that is absolutely amazing. She wakes up, and, and, it's, and it's in color, right? It's in color, and it's a big deal, right? And, and she finds these ruby slippers. She finds these little slippers, and they hold power, right? And she's told that uh, uh, she's now powerful and she's in a beautiful land. But what does she do with that? It's a beautiful land. She's got everything she wants, right? There's little small people singing. It's glorious, right? This is a good place, right? They have lollipops. You don't want to leave there, right? And so um, she decides, I want to go home, right? You just came from like yucky Kansas, right? Right? This is like Dust Bowl Kansas. Like this is not good Kansas, okay? This is Dust Bowl, Kansas. So for her, for the perspective, we're going to change it up a little bit for our analogy this morning, but she, she decides that there's no place like home, right? She has a realization. Even though this world that she's in seems to offer and tempt her with every good and wonderful thing, something in her feels empty. It is not where she belongs. It is not the people that love her the most. It is not the people she is called to. It is not the place that she is to be. And I think every one of us have a small piece in our heart, whether we agree or disagree, and we fight it or not fight it, that tells us something is wrong in this world. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we want to achieve everything. We want to have everything. We want every lollipop and every yellow brick road. And we want to walk down the roads and travel places. And something in our hearts just tells us this is not where we belong. We belong somewhere else. And see, what happens is when we get caught up in things, see, Dorothy didn't get caught up. She had a mission. She knew where she was going, and she refused to stop. Some of us have quit walking the path that God has called for our life, and we're never going to get to the destination in front of us because we got caught up in the poppy fields, right? We got caught up uh, uh, in places we didn't belong because they were beautiful and wonderful. And I think that's kind of what we do in life. We get so caught up with the mundane things in life or we get caught up in our careers and our kids and our, and, 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 and our, our families and, and everything else that is a distraction and we forget that the kingdom of God is our ultimate destination. That we are not of 
this world. We are simply in it like Dorothy was. As beautiful and wonderful it is, it's not our home. And one day, at some point, we're going to have to get home. And how we get home matters. When we get home matters. Getting home matters. And the kingdom of God is our ultimate destination. See, Dorothy was inspirational to me. Here's this young girl, and maybe you guys are a little bit like Dorothy this morning, and maybe you say, I'm not strong enough to get there. I'm not strong enough to walk the Christian life. I'm not strong enough to get to where I'm called to be. I'm not, that's not for me. I can't preach. I can't witness. I can't go out there and like feed the homeless because I can't cook. I burn toast. Like I can't do any of this, right? I, I, I can't. I don't know how to pray for people because I'm not very articulate. And you know, you got to be like, you got to know all your these and thous to like really have a powerful prayer, right? Like you got to know all those. I don't know any of those, so I can't pray. So you have all these excuses why you couldn't pray. Here is this young girl who doesn't know anything about the land she's in, doesn't have a clue. She just knows where she wants to go. And she refuses to stop on the path to get there. And here's what's amazing. Here's another excuse I hear from people all the time. I don't have any help. I don't know. I can't do this on my own. I don't have any help. And here's the reality. I'm going to tell you a reality. Ready for this? If God has called you to something, here's how you know that it's probably God. Well, that's a big one. Here's how you know it might be God. Okay? We'll preface might be God. You can do it alone. It's probably not God. If it's scary and bigger than you are and it requires other people to help you, that might be God telling you to do something, okay? God will always give you things that are bigger than you to accomplish. They will always push you beyond where you are and force you to partner with other people because God loves relationship. And we serve a very big God and he doesn't know how to deal in small vision. He doesn't promote Small vision. Your vision will always be bigger than you. And that's how you know it's God. So she has this great vision. I'm going to go to the Emerald City, and I'm going to find this guy, and I'm going to get myself home. Don't even know where I am. I got here on a tornado, but I'm going to figure out how to get home. She doesn't have a clue how to do it and doesn't have any help to do it, right? See, you can learn something from Dorothy. If you don't have anybody, if you are waiting to start your vision, to start your business, to start your career, to start your mission field, to start your ministry, if you are waiting around for the right people to show up, just be like Dorothy. Start walking on your road and you'll find them. Start going. Somebody will see what you're doing and they'll say, she needs help. He needs help. And they will come alongside you and lift you up and help you on your journey. You need more help. Dorothy just collected people. She was the great Oz evangelist. All right? Everywhere she went, she says, hi, my name's Dorothy. Want to go to Oz? Like, want to go to the Emerald City? Like, let's go. Right? Everywhere she went, she goes, she finds troubled people that are hurting and broken and messed up. And she's like, hey, I don't know how to fix you. I don't have all the answers, but I know where I'm going. See, I know somebody who knows how to fix you. See, I don't, I, I'm your pastor. I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to fix every one of your situations, but I know somebody who does. And I'd like to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he might not be of Oz, but he's alive. 
and he lives, and he wants to fix your broken hearts and your messed up minds and your lack of courage, right? And he wants to chase away the witch in your life that wants to devour you. There is a God who loves you, and I don't know all the answers, but I know which way I'm going. I'm going towards him. I'm going to find him. So all you got to do is grab my arm. We'll go together, and we'll get there eventually. It might take today. It might be tomorrow, but we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So Dorothy's got my heart, man. Here's this young girl, got no talent, no ability, doesn't know what she's doing, and she is just relentless. I am telling you, stop telling yourself you don't have what it takes to get there and just start going. You waste all that time talking about it, and you could have already been there. You could have been there. Man, some of you have emerald cities on your heart, and you just need to start going. You have dreams and visions that God has put on your heart, and you just need to start moving forward. The world does not need more people to do something. They need more people to come alive. They need more people to have passion and be excited and be relentless in their pursuit of it. Okay? And, and look, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm not telling you that you're just going to walk up to the doors and get everything you want. In fact, Dorothy didn't have the same situation happen either. See, Dorothy got to the Emerald City, and I know some of you guys haven't even seen the movie, so you're like, I don't, I don't know. I, it's 80 years old. Like, you've had a lot of time. Go, go to the theater and watch it this time, okay? Have the movie experience, all right? It's like, I don't, I don't understand. We don't relate, okay? <laughs> okay, so she gets to the doors. So, like, it really, it's, it's kind of weird trying to explain a movie that, like, is 80 years old that all of us, like, grew up watching 500,000 times. So, so I'm doing it for you couple that are off in a bubble, okay? That your parents put you in one of those bubbles to keep you safe. Maybe it was a medical condition. Maybe they were just overprotective. I don't know, but they shielded you from the terribleness of Oz, okay? So uh, some of you are like, well, it's bad. It's got witches in it. Yeah, they killed a witch, okay? This is a good, oh, I just ruined it. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Okay, so, uh, so she gets to the Emerald City. She is finally, she, she, she finally gets to the Emerald City where all her friends are there. All they got to do is go through the door. They can find the wizard. They can get home. She's going to find, yes, I am here. Some of you guys in your life have finally got to the door of your life, right? You, you're asking God for something. You're believing God for something. You're asking for it, and you fight, and you get there, and you can see it, and the door is shut, and it won't open. And you don't understand. So what do you do? They won't let me in. So Dor Dorothy knocks on the door, and she's not allowed in. And they say, nope, nobody, see nobody sees a wizard. Not no way, not no how, right? That's good, okay? I'm just trying to keep it real, right? I'm just trying to keep it real this morning. Wait till, wait till we get to the rest. Oh, it's, it's going to grow. All right, so... Um, <laughs> So she gets to the door, and they won't let her in, right? And so many of us, so many of us, we hit the door, and it won't open. We say, oh, that must not be the will of God. And we go back down the road that we shouldn't have been on, that we shouldn't go back on, right? That's what we do. We stop because we say, we got there, Lord. I even knocked. I knocked, and you said it would be open, and it wasn't. I've been asking, and you're not there. Like, I don't see it. I keep asking, and you keep not opening the door, right? I asked, didn't I? And that's where Dorothy is. Dorothy's at a moment where her and her friends, her friends are ready to leave. 
right? They're like, oh, well, they don't have hope. But see, Dorothy had something they didn't. She had ruby slippers, okay? She had some shoes on. She had been given the keys to enter the Emerald City. So when she, when they, she said, but I got these ruby slippers, the guard changed his mind, didn't he? He's like, oh, I didn't realize that you were the one that wore the ruby slippers. Come on in. We'll get you an audience with him right now. The wizard didn't see nobody, right? But you'll get an audience with him right now. See, the ruby slippers came with authority. She was somebody to that world, even though she didn't belong in it. She had powers to open up doors that were shut. Her friends were ready to give up, and she said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't know who I am. I'm a little girl. I have no power. I have nothing. You don't see my strength, but I got something. I got these slippers, and they open up doors for me wherever I go. See, that's the idea. The kingdom of God is waiting on you to use your spiritual slippers. See, you have authority in the kingdom of God, and you need to start operating in that. Paul understood it. I'm a Roman citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. Start opening doors. Start letting people know who you are. Start letting spiritual forces that come against you know who you are. They can't stay shut. See, sometimes we knock and we ask, and we think that's all there is to it. The Bible says that deep calls to deep. There's a scripture that says deep calls to deep. What does that mean? It means there are deep places in our heart. There are deep places in heaven, powerful and majestic things that we have the power to unlock, but we can't unlock them with shallow prayer. We can't unlock them with shallow knocking. We can't unlock them with shallow asking. Deep calls to deep. If you want to reach the deep places where the big stuff is, right? You ever, if, are, any fishermen in here? I got fishermen in here. Do you fish in the shallows? Right? Fisher woman. Do, do you fish in the shallows very often? If you want to catch really, really big fish, where do you go? Right? You go to the ocean, right? Catch you a whale, right? Not to eat, just to ride. Right? Like a, like a boss, okay? That's how you do it. I'm going to ride a whale, Okay? But you go to the deep place to catch the whale. You go to the deep place to catch the big one, right? That's where you go. And see, we need to understand that the Dorothy reached deep. She said, look, all her friends are like, no, nah, we knocked, we asked. They did the surface stuff. They did the normal stuff, right? Well, what should you do to be a good Christian? Well, you should probably pray, right? right? Everyone would say that, right? What do you got to do to follow God? Well, I should pray, right? You should, what would be another one? Like, I should read my Bible every single day, right? I should read my Bible, right? That'd be a good thing, right? Probably pray with other people, right? Uh, probably share my faith. That would be a fourth one, right? I could pray with other people and I could share my faith. Those would be some good things to do as a believer, but those are all surface, okay? Those are all beginnings and they're all good and we should do them, right? Dorothy had to knock for someone to come to the door. So you can't say, well, Pastor Ren said, don't pray. <laughs> no, pray a lot, okay? But don't pray like this. Oh, Lord, bless my food because you're a really, really awesome dude. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've gone to lunch with me, you know that's my, my lunch prayer half the time. I got two. I change them up sometimes to be fun, you know. But I got two, right? Because to me, praying over my food, I'm thankful for my food and I thank God. But like the whole prayer over lunchtime and stuff like that just feels really shallow. Does that make sense? Like it just doesn't, like it's not like people are like, oh, Lord, hallelujah. Right? You don't have like some stomping going on at the end, right? Lord. Jesus with a salad, right? Oh, toss a salad, amen, 
right? That's not happening, right? You guys are like, I don't do that on Sunday morning. Well, you better start. Gosh, I need some, I need some, I need some of those shaking Jesus people, okay? You know, the ones where you can't figure out, are they having a medical condition or are they actually praising God? Like, I don't know. And you wait around to find out and you're hoping you get it right, right? That's scary. It's scary. Uh, <laughs> so, but there's shallow prayers and we need to go deeper with our prayer. We need to reach for deep places. We need to understand that as citizens of heaven, we have authority. And Paul used it when he declared his authority as a Roman citizen and and. and Dorothy used it when she showed her slippers. She said, look, I'm not just an ordinary citizen of Oz. I'm not somebody here in Oz. I hold power. And see, that's the thing. You guys walk through this world and doors slam on you and things shut down on you and you can't see a way forward. And you need to realize that God, the God that is in you is bigger than the one in the world. And when you start letting people know, my God is bigger than you. And I said, open that door in the name of Jesus. That it will, it will. It actually will. You have the power and ability to do it. The difference is, is that some of us believe it and some of us don't. And so Dorothy could have just stepped away and she would have left. And everything would have remained the same, right? But she recognized she had something. And see, it wasn't even that she was like, oh, wait a minute. I have these slippers. The reason why she got through is because she refused to give up. She kept fighting. She wasn't taking no for an answer. And here's my question. How many of you have prayed about something? And then when the door won't open, you take that no. The very first no is the answer. Doors not opening are not answers. They're opportunities to stretch your faith. They're opportunities for you to grow. And see, we need to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Like I said, the kingdom of God or heaven was listed 150 times, uh, five times in the New Testament. And it's this Greek word called basilia, okay, in the New Testament. And it's a rank or authority or sovereignty given under a king, okay? So I, I want to I kind of uh, um, uh, talk about that for a minute, okay? Um, it is this idea... So Basilia, it's a kingdom of heaven. So every time you see kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, it's this word Basilia, okay? And, and it means this, royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule, okay? But here's what's very interesting about it is definition of this word goes beyond that and they make it clear. Not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the rights or authority to rule over that kingdom. Okay? So Basilia is not the kingdom of God. It's not an actual kingdom. It's the right or authority to rule a kingdom. Okay? Very different. So we read kingdom of God, we think of a place, right? That's our mindset. What, this changes the, 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 the reading of this scripture completely. And if you'll stay with me for a second, shift your mind around to a new concept. It says this in Matthew 3.2. Matthew 3.2 says this. From the time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? So we're going to break down this scripture for just a second uh, as I wrap this up. But repent, see, that's an ugly word in the church, right? Repent, right? Well, you need to repent, right? What does that mean? What does that mean to most of us? Say you're sorry, right? Does that, when, when you hear the word repent, most of us think that means say you're sorry. I did something wrong. I need to apologize to God or somebody else, so I need to repent. That's actually not what repent means, okay? Um, repent is the word metaheo, metaheo, right? Metaheo, right? Sounds more, um, yeah, it sounds more like 
Indian, right? Native American. Then it does, Native American. Meteheho. Uh, but it means this. So the word repent, meteheo, means to change one's mind or purpose. To change one's mind or purpose. So let's reread that now that we understand the context of those words, to change one's mind or purpose and have the right and dominion and authority to rule over a kingdom. So it says this, from the time Jesus began to preach and he said, change your mind, change your purpose for the right of heaven's rule in your life has come. Change your purpose. Stop being about what you've been about. Stop just trying to catch some fish today. Stop just trying to build a boat. Stop just trying to make it through another week and feed your family and survive one more week and just go about your life hoping everything will be fine from week to week to week to week. Stop doing the same thing. Change your mind about what you think. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of David is not coming back physically. That's not what I'm here to I need you to change your mind and understand that if I just brought you back kingdom of David, all you would have is the same old thing. I'm trying to give you something more. I'm trying to tell you that the laws of God, the rule of heaven is in your authority now. It's in your authority. So Jesus said, change your mind about what you understand. I'm trying to give you keys to the kingdom and all authority to unlock it. Some of you this morning, you come in here and you're like, church is nice. I check it off the box. I need you to change your mind. Church is not nice. It's not nice at all. It's a place where things happen. It's a place where the power of God happens. It's a place where the enemy flees from. It is a war zone. It is a battlefield. It is a dangerous place where we play a dangerous game of Game of Thrones here, okay? And we know who's on the throne. It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself, who gave us authority to be able to walk. And, and when someone's sick, we pray for them, right? We're not afraid to pray for people here, right? Because we have authority. That's what happens. We have authority. We have the authority to heal the sick. We have the authority to rebuke the laws of this land. We have the authority to not be subjected to this land. Do you understand that? Right? I don't know how many of you guys are like struggling with some bills this week, right? My favorite story ever about struggling with some bills is my mom's story. She was struggling, wasn't able to make ends meet, couldn't pay the, the bills, and um, finally she got so fed up, and this has stuck with me all these years, she, she got so fed up that she finally just picked up all her bills and she went out, uh, I don't know if she was outside, but she looked up in the heavens and she said, do you see what they're charging you, God? Do you see what they're charging you? See, she understood that as a citizen of heaven, as an as a heir to the throne of grace, that it wasn't her bill, it was, the, it was his. And, and honestly, the result of that was a strange check showed up the next day. Wasn't it two days? Two checks showed up uh, for exactly what her bills were. Like God took care of it when she took authority and recognized whose it belonged to. So not only are we able to um, use the authority of heaven to have God move on our behalf. In fact, you're not tricking God. You're not making him do anything he doesn't want to do. He's waiting for you to, to use it. He gave it to you, and he's like, use it, right? You, you, parents, you ever, you ever have your kids do that? Like you give them something, and, and they're, they look at you like, can I? And you're like, yes. And they're like, really? Right? You, you ever have that happen, right? 
we we have you know we have a dog and, and we get we got him he got Christmas presents he got a new rope and a ball right and like you give it you give it to him and he looks at you like am I allowed to chew this like is this because I'm not allowed to chew anything else in the house so is this on the chew list and you're like yeah it's safe so you put it in his mouth and he's like drop it for a second you're like no no it's okay and he's like you know and he's real slow to figure out, oh I'm allowed to okay and he watches you like am I getting in trouble right. He doesn't realize his own authority. The second, see, God gave you the authority. You're not tricking him into doing anything. You're doing exactly what he asked you to do. He said, here, I give you the kingdom. I give you the keys. I give you authority. Why are you still standing outside the gates? You can come in anytime you want if you will just call the deep, if you'll just press through, if you'll let him know who you are. Some of you need to tell the devil who you are. So here's some ways to tell if you're kingdom-minded. Here's to tell a couple of ways to tell if you're kingdom-minded. So we said we should pray, right? So what, what should our prayers look like? Your prayers are not all about you. And if Holly could go get ready, I don't know where she's at. But. Oh, okay, good. So your prayers, I didn't see you. So your prayers are not all about you, okay? If your prayers are all centric, if they're all like, Lord, take care of me, it's, if it's always you, it's fine to pray for you. But if it's always you, you might not be kingdom-minded. Those might be shallow prayers. When your prayers are focused on other people and blessing other people, you're kingdom-minded, okay? And so you, you want to start going deeper with the things that you're called to do. Another way to tell that you're kingdom-minded is if you're content when trouble comes. When you understand that you are in a world where there's trouble because it's not your home. You don't get too comfortable in somebody else's home, do you? When you go to somebody else's home, are you comfortable? Right? You don't know if you're allowed to kick your feet up there, right? You don't, you don't know how the rules work on the feet on the, on the couch or any of that kind of stuff. And so the whole time you're like, do I take my shoes off when I walk in? Do I not take my shoes? Like, what am I supposed to do? You don't know, right? They give you a drink, but they didn't give you a coaster. And you're like, I don't know, right? I have like six coasters on my coffee table. And you can tell that the people at my house are very comfortable because for some reason they never even put them on the coaster. Like they're built into the coffee table. And so I'll always go over there and I'll go, I understand if I didn't give you one. It's right there built into the coffee table. <laughs> and that's how you know you're comfortable in my house, right? <laughs> that's how you can tell. That's how you can tell you're comfortable in my house. But you're generally not as comfortable in someone else's, right? You don't walk in, throw off your shoes, put on your slippers, right? Throw on your PJs and be like, let's chill, right? Some of you have some friends that you are comfortable in their home like that. That's called relationship, okay? That's called a real, authentic relationship when you are comfortable in their home. But generally, you are not content in somebody else's home like you are yours. See, Dorothy understood that. This is not my home. I can't get comfortable. I, this is not where I belong. So you don't get too comfortable in someone else's house. So you don't get too comfortable. So when you're in a situation that, that, that stirs you up, you are comfortable. Why? Because you are in your father's house. Right? You understand as a citizen of heaven, you have access to God. And so even though stuff goes wrong, stuff happens in your life, you are comfortable. You are at peace through that process because you're with your Father, and it's where you belong. If you are with him, there's comfort there. And as beautiful as Oz was, Dorothy understood she was not home. She was an immigrant, okay? She was an immigrant to Oz. And, and, and let, me, let me just, I just want to get this through to you guys, 
I don't even know this has to do with my message, but it was something that just really, really messed with me. And if, uh, Renee, if you could come. So something happened to me to kind of stir me. And look, we all go through moments in life where we get kind of shaken. Stuff happens. It shakes us. doesn't matter who you are. And I'm not up here to tell you that I figured it all out. In fact, I haven't. Um, a lot of times people show up at church and they expect the pastor to have all the answers. Right? I'm like Dorothy in some things. Some things I know how to get to, okay? Some things I'm still looking for my Emerald City. Like, I don't know where we're going to find it. I just know what, what road I'm on. I know I'm going the right direction, but I don't always have all the answers. I'm not perfect. You should not be looking for perfect people. You should be looking for people that are willing to take a step in the right direction with you, okay? And maybe somebody that's taken a few extra steps ahead of you and sees that it's clear. Come on, it's all clear. That's what you should be looking for. And so there are moments in our life, every one of us, whoever you are, I don't care who you are, where you have a moment. Some of us dwell and live in moments. Other ones just have it for a brief second and they get through it. But um, the other night, I came home. We were working late to get all this done for you guys. And I came home and it was like 10 o'clock at night and I walked in. My wife was asleep and I hadn't seen Caleb all day because we'd been working. He stayed home. And I went upstairs to, to say goodnight to him, see if he was awake or whatever. And I went up and he wasn't in his room. So I'm like, okay, he's not in his room. So I go downstairs, I check the bathroom, he's not there. I'm like, oh, maybe he's probably outside on the phone, but it's really cold. Sometimes he'll go sit in like a car because we, we live in the country, bad reception. So I look outside, he's not out there, he's not in any of the cars. And my father heart starts to do what a father's heart does, right? Panic, right? So I'm trying to stay calm. But now I'm getting a little nervous. I'm like, I don't see him anywhere. And I'm calling out his name into the darkness. And he's not responding. And he's not walking around. The, it's too cold. There's no way he's walking around. I'm calling out his name. So I go inside. I check every closet. I check his brother's rooms. I check everywhere in the house. And all the thoughts of all the terrible things that could happen just start trying to come at me and start trying to rush me. I'm calling his phone over and over. I probably called him like four times consecutively back to back. No answer from his phone. I'm walking around. I go out to the shops, to the outbuildings I have, and I'm checking those. Maybe he's out working out. Maybe this, Maybe it's no big deal. Uh, and, and I can't find him anywhere. I don't hear his phone anywhere. And my heart sinks. And I'm just all the thoughts of things that could go wrong does. And I would like to tell you in that brief like two minutes that I just was calm at peace, perfect. I knew the Lord had it. No big deal. No, I understood who my God was and I was calling out to him, but panic was in my heart, okay? I can't even call it fear like that. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? My kid's missing. Where is he? And Rachel's going, did you find him? Did you find him? No, no. Finally, the phone rings and I'm like, where are you? And he goes, I'm at the birthday party. I told you. Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I forgot. <laughs> Do you need me to pick you up now? He was at a birthday party. He's fine. Nothing was wrong. So I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying that in those moments that I don't get shaken too. That I don't have a moment where I have to pull myself back in. We all have moments where we have to find what kingdom we belong to again. And that's why I'm saying this, not because I'm better than you, but because we need to remember what kingdom we belong to. 
Because some of us get stretched out and put in chains over certain things. Some of us are in bondage. And we need to remember what kingdom we belong to. We need to remember that in those moments, those dark moments of our life, that we can cry out to God. We can call out to God. And He is the God that will restore everything that's taken from us. He's the God that will save us when we can't save ourselves. He's the God that will hold us when we can't hold ourselves anymore. And when we've done all that we can do to stand, He will help us just to stand. And that's what he'll do. So this morning, we're going to bring some new people into the kingdom of God. And we're going to give them their legal authority so that they don't have to live under this rule of Satan in this world. They don't have to live by man's rule. And they don't have to walk through the mundane life of just simply existing in a world they don't belong in anyways. Amen? Amen. So Holly, if you could come up. We're going to baptize Holly this morning. And then we're going to pray together. So a lot of times I do this to the end, but I'm going to do this before the altar call because I think it's important. It stirs faith. Look, this is what our church does. This is what we do. We grab as many people as we can on our road, and we take as many people as we can with us in authority to change their life. And Holly is a great testament of somebody who has just been radically transformed by finding her Emerald City. Amen? So Holly, if you'd come over here. Hopefully it's not too cold. Holly's story and, and watching Holly grow um, has been inspirational to me. Uh, we, we hugged a whole bunch after the candlelight service. If you missed that, it was the best, okay? But we, we hugged a whole bunch after that. She kept crying and hugging me telling me, you know, how this year has really changed her life and how amazing and impactful it was. And I said, understand, you've blessed me as much as you think that I've blessed you. Because just watching her transformation of somebody who didn't believe in God when she came here, finding God, but then meeting him face to face and finding power and authority and then texting me like prophetic words and dreams that she's had and, and like, and they're spot on. And I've got like three other people that said, Hey, this is the, this is what's happening in our church. And here's Holly with these very mature believers sending me these prophecies. And I'm going, yeah, those are pretty much the same thing. They're identical. And just watching her maturity and growth and understanding that she is not a citizen of this world and she's not bound by the laws of this world but she is bound by the laws of heaven and that opens up a lot of freedom and so this morning we're going to give you more authority in the kingdom of God and we're going to make you a new creation in Christ amen amen so you believe in Jesus and accept him in his heart amen well, why don't you sit down okay yeah it's low cold so I'm going to have you plug your nose like that and then I'm going to dip you on your hand, okay? Holly, due to your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our Messiah, Yeshua, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. You can come up a new creation in Christ. Come on, you guys can get louder than that, amen? I'm going to leave this baptism tank here in case any of you guys decide that you are ready for your kingdom authority. 
you are ready to go to that next step. It will be here, and I'll baptize all day if we need to. Last time I opened this up, 12 people got baptized. It will always, every time this tank is full, you are welcome to make your run, okay? That's how it works. I'm telling you this morning that things, this is why we're here. We are not here to ha make you feel good about yourself. We are not here as a church so that you can check something off your list. We are not here so that you can feel righteous because you are more holy than the next guy. We are here to change lives. That's what we do. We bring the dead back to life. We restore the brokenhearted. We give hope and we take them to where God is so he can change their life. That's what we do. Bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given us the authority to live for you in abundance and in lack. That we are able to cry out to you and call out to you, Father God, and see your kingdom come and your will be done, not just in heaven, but here in our lives right now, right here. Father, I ask you stir the hearts of those in this building right now that we surrender to you, Father. Surrender our hearts to you, Father. So while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, please, nobody looking around. This is a private moment for people. If you came here this morning, you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I have not made him the Lord of my life. But this morning, I want that relationship. I want to be a citizen of heaven. I want to be able to walk through what I walk through and know that someone goes with me. And I'm ready today to change my mind and live for Jesus. If that's you this morning, raise your hand so I can pray with you. It's just me and you. No one else is looking around. Just a quick little hand. You don't even got to raise it that high. Come on. Amen. Amen. Yes. Anybody else? Come on. This is your moment. I'm telling you, a transformation will happen. If you are debating it in your heart right now, if it's stirring, that's God saying, I want you. I want a relationship with you. You see... That's the thing. Here's the thing. When I was freaking out and panicking for my son, listen to me here with your hearts and not your eyes. When I was panicking and freaking out with my son, the Holy Spirit came and said something to me. He goes, this is the same way the Father is desperate for you. He is so panicking for your life. He is so desperate for a relationship with you that he searched to and fro of the whole world trying to find you. He's desperate. He puts people in your path. He sends out church parties to pray. He is desperate to have a relationship with you because he is a good father just like you are. He is the same kind of father you are. His son is lost. He panics for him and searches for him and he never gives up. God is not given up on you this morning. Will you just let him find you? Who's that another person that needs to be found by Jesus this morning? Amen. If you've been far away and you've ran and you need him this morning, you've, you've accepted him, but you've ran, and this morning you're going to stop and let him find you, and you're going to follow his path. If that's you this morning, raise your hand so I can pray with you as well. Amen. Amen. Will you guys all pray this with me together as one group? And if you believe this in your heart, it's going to change your life today.
Dear Heavenly Father, I accept your son Jesus. He died on the cross and he's raised from the dead to forgive me my sins. I make him the Lord of my life and I let you find me, God. I ask you in my heart and I live for you. Make me a kingdom citizen today and let me live for you. I repent for the things I've done wrong and I change my mind about who you are. And from this day to my last day, I will have a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So I just want to pray a blessing over you and maybe as I spoke that message as I release you, maybe as I spoke that message as I release you, uh, you felt a stirring for ministry. Uh, you felt a stirring for uh, finding the calling that God has placed on your life and finding the road you need to go down. And you're saying, I don't know what that road is. I don't know what my ministry is. Or maybe I do know, but I don't know how to accomplish it. I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I really want some inspiration. I want to I offer uh, the altars this morning for that. You can come up for anything you need, any prayer you need at all. Uh, but specifically, if you want that uh, uh, over you and you're struggling with finding that path, I want some people to pray with you to help you get a vision for your future. But I'm going to bless you guys with that this morning over each and every one of you. Father God, Lord, I just speak blessing and increase over each and every person in this building. Father, I ask that you give them all a vision of their future, Father, a vision of where they're supposed to run their race. Father, that you just open up doors for them. Lord, that you provide ministry opportunities, business opportunities, career opportunities, family opportunities. Father, that you restore the things that the enemy has stolen from them, Father. And I put the face of Jesus all over them. I put the blessing of God all over them. And I call them blessed. And I call them men and women and children of purpose, of distinction. They are citizens of heaven. And I ask that you increase their heaven authority so they can walk out the purpose and the plan of their life with joy and abundance. And I speak blessing over them. In the name of Jesus, amen. If no one has told you this week, you are loved. The altar is opened. You can come get prayer. Shalom. You're dismissed.